episode of Lie, Cheat, and Steal, the podcast about liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I'm your host, Pat Sorois. With me, as always, my co-host, Kath Barbadoro. Hi, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We just uh, took a recess before, after recording our Patreon episode, and I decided to join you in getting a drink. So who Hell knows? Yeah. I made Shit, another I can- one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you what you drinking today? I'm drinking. Uh, normally, and, and you know me, nine times out of ten, the answer is Lone Star. But um, absolutely, yeah. Today I'm drinking. Uh, uh, it's a Carbach, uh, Carbosh Pilsner. It's called Horseshoe, Ooh. and it's really good. Yeah. Yesterday, me and my uh, my girls at the lake with her um, her homegirls work party all day, and she was like, "Man, get like a Pilsner beer." And I was like, "All right." So I went out and bought two. I bought Hans Pils and the Carbach. Um, Horseshoe Pilsner and the not Carbock- sponsored by the way. If they not want to sponsor yeah. us, <laughs> yeah, we're come here on. for you. Come on with it, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, y'all, yeah, y'all are based out of Austin. I can just swing by and pick up the check, you know. But um, <laughs> no, Carbox Houston. That's right. Never mind. Anyways, but uh, it's good. It's better than the pills that I that, that I got the Hans. I got the Hans pills. That's okay. But this horseshoe one is real good. So, Hans pills. If you want to change this power ranking, yeah, yeah. sponsor us. <laughs> it is for sale. Well, so usually, like, when I drink, like, micro-brews and shit, like, or, I don't know micro-brews, but, like, craft beer, uh, like, I, I like, like, pilsners and lagers, and I, I, I'm i always Me curious too. to see, like, oh, what's, like, why don't, like, put your time and effort into making the best one of those that you can, and almost every time, there's, like, we made a stupid IPA that tastes like dog shit, and, yeah. like, that's, that's usually what they spend their time on for some reason. That's why I drink so much Lone Star. It does seem like it's changing a little bit. I feel like part of it is just because of climate change. It's, like, it's too hot to drink IPAs most of the year. Yeah, yeah. So they have to, like, they have to, they have to respond to that. I feel like they're getting better at, like, they don't do pilsners a lot, which is too bad because I like pilsners. But they do; they'll do like a good sour, which I like, like something that's more refreshing than a bitter ass IPA. You know, yeah. I always always appreciate. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I love, I love, uh, I love an Austin. I love a Pearl Snap, one of my Ooh, faves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pearl delicious. Snap goes hard. I miss it. Uh, I also got a plug. Also got a plug. Uh, my brother used to work for Peak Organic. They're a uh, fresh cut. A very, it, I think it is technically an IPA, but it is very uh, Pilsner-like, and I am Ooh, I'm a fan. So that's what's up. Now yeah. that we've gotten all of those pleas for sponsorship out of the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I'm uh, I'm excited to do this episode. I, I I had never heard of this guy, and I feel like a lot of times I do like I I get very righteous in my uh, scammer subject research, and I like I pick people who like. I feel like are are sort of exploiting some kind of injustice uh, in, in the world. Yeah. This guy, I feel like, kind of a victimless crime, kind of cool. Like, okay, I'm, I'm sort of into him. I he's yeah. not he is not a member of the Good Guy Club, but not for anything relating to why we're going to talk about him. Okay, so all right. Yeah. I will, is, is, I will is like off the field antics that keep him out of the club. <laughs> That is a very apt metaphor because this guy was a, uh, a former professional athlete. So Ooh, okay. great metaphor. Basically, what I'm trying to say is there there seems to be a fair amount of evidence that he's a domestic abuser. Ah, um, uh, yes. So we yes. can't we can't put him in the good guy club because he's not definitely not a good guy. But like that all is separate from how he made his money and the way he made his money to me is awesome. Hell so, yeah. So today, uh, we are going to be talking about one Byron McLaughlin. Uh, I, if uh, Pat, do you watch baseball? No, that's probably of the, the the big four major sports. That's the one 
I probably pay the least amount of attention to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, even even if you did watch baseball, you probably would not have heard of this guy because while he was a major league player in the 70s and early 80s, he did not have a lot of success uh, in that in that arena. His success came later, and yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. So this um, some say he's the Michael Jordan of being Byron McLaughlin. <laughs> I, I, I've read that. They do say that. Um, they said that in uh, in this article that um, I got a lot of this information from. So there was a great um, Sports Illustrated article uh, that came out a couple years ago by this guy Dan Green. Um, about this story, which yeah, I'd I'd never heard of it, and uh, it really it really tickled me. It's very cinematic. I feel like somebody Ooh. could make this into a great movie. So hell yeah, um, you know, if if anybody hears this and writes a screenplay about it, um, I'm lazy, but I do want uh, a piece of that a piece of that pie <laughs> if you do it. You know. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna open this story uh, at the beginning of uh, Byron McLaughlin's. Uh, pro baseball career so he is a a hard-throwing feather-coiffed right-hander from Santa Monica uh he is kind of his introduction to the major league baseball system is pretty uneventful um he uh first attempts to switch to catcher from an outfielder position uh, working in the uh, minor league for the Expos in 1974. It doesn't switched, really work out. Do you switch to catcher? He just started putting on the catcher equipment. He's like, I'm, I'm already in it, so like, just let me do it. Like, <laughs> let me do it. <laughs> yeah, so he, like, he kind of tries that out. It doesn't go great. Uh, he sort of bats around in the, uh, in, in the minor leagues for the Expos. Um, then he sort of comes back as a, as a pitcher, uh, he works for the Orioles for a while again, for the Orioles, but in their in their farm team system. Yeah, so like, okay. the way that baseball works is like every major league baseball team also has um, a triple A, a double A, a single A uh, minor league team that feeds into their major league team. So it's like they're responsible for the development of these athletes, yeah. but they don't work on the on the major league yet. And the idea is one day they will. Yeah, so, right. in El Paso, there was, uh, I believe it was the farm team, to the Milwaukee Brewers, and it was the El Paso Diablos. And, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going, El Paso Diablos. <laughs> and they had this they had this dude, Scott Talanoa, and he was like this like Samoan uh, American player dude, and he was like super strong, and his thing was shattering bats. That was, like, Hell he was yeah. yeah, he was known for that. So we used to like uh, the El Paso lie cheating steelheads out there. Shout out Scott Talanoa from the nineties. <laughs> I I gotta say, I love minor league baseball games. Like it was so much fun. I was just talking about this on What a Time to Be Alive because I I recently went to see um Seinfeld night at the Brooklyn Cyclone. Yeah, you were telling is, me about that. Yeah, it's uh it's I remember I was about to go to the game, uh one of the most recent times we recorded. And uh yeah, it's super fun and it's cause they're like, look, we know minor league baseball is not that exciting, so we're gonna throw everything at the wall to get you to come to the game. <laughs> yeah. And so we had we had an all you can drink ticket. We had Seinfeld trivia. We had free t-shirts. We had a $10. You could get free hot dogs. Like 
every they were just like please come to this basement yeah and it was it. fucking awesome yeah i, I saw pictures you were out there with uh with pat hasty uh i i, I bumped into pat hasty when he's come through austin a couple times and uh, love that guy but, uh, shout out to pat hasty i'm a, yeah. i'm about to move to his neighborhood he's the best oh fuck yeah yeah, yeah. Tell, tell him i'll say what's up but uh no yeah. i i ride so much fun at at the el paso diablos games yeah it was just, it was just a, a good time and again i was a kid i didn't need i didn't even need to be brought into having fun i was just glad to be there <laughs> but yeah. Um, so that's like, I mean, this guy was like sort of your prototypical dude bouncing around the minor leagues, not making a lot of money, just kind of a journeyman uh, baseball player. Um, yeah. So he played a bunch of different positions. Uh, he eventually sort of settles on being a pitcher. Um, he is, again, sort of shipped around. Uh, he spent a little bit of time uh, working for uh, a Mexican league that was affiliated um, with the MLB system in Nuevo Laredo, which our Texas listeners may know is a border town. Um, he, he worked for the Nuevo Laredo Tecolotes, which I don't know what that means, but, uh, I believe it's like a tasty corn treat. No, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Mexico is important to the story. So that, that will come back into play that he has spent some time here. Um, he finally eventually gets called up to the Mariners in 77 and, um, he pitches for them for a few years, has a very uneven career is not, you know, he shows some, some moments of promise, but it, it never really goes well. And he also doesn't really gel with the team. Um, he's known as, as sort of at best kind of a loner and, uh, a lot, a lot of his teammates say that he, um, developed a reputation for having a bad attitude. He uh, was always trying to devise new pitches, which drove everyone crazy. Which is really funny to me. It's like, how many ways can you really throw it? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I'm working on this whole new one, man. I'll just give you a hint. I got to take my socks off. It's all the same. That's all, that's all I'm going to say, all right? That's, yeah, that is very much the vibe that I'm imagining. Um, this is, like, a really good anecdote. So, he was, like, driving everybody crazy trying to come up with new pitches. And then he was also, like, constantly injured and, like, complaining about it. <laughs> <laughs> so this story this story really cracks me up. So in 1979, he missed uh, two weeks of games uh, because he banged his hand on a desk in his hotel room while he was practicing his pitching motion. <laughs> so, like, he just... Bad spatial awareness slams his hand on a desk and uh, is out. And, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he would like he would get into fights during games. Uh, they mentioned that he one time got in a fight with uh, Rod Carew, which I only know from Adam Sandler's The Hanukkah Song. Yeah, um, Hall of Famer Rod Carew. Hall of Famer Rod Carew. <laughs> so he got in a fight with Hall of Famer Rod Carew. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he's just like a handful, and he's not really good enough to justify being a handful. Yeah, oh, I'm getting like uh, like Kenny Powers vibes off the guy, like a little yes. bit. You know? yeah. very much so. This yeah. is big, big Kenny Powers <laughs> energy. Which like that's um, like it's always so funny like people who don't understand that like a character is only good or likable because they're in, they're in a fake TV show and like yeah. You just, <laughs> yeah. yeah and you just meet people who like it's like oh you know that like he's not a good guy right like it's not it's not cool to walk around like Kenny Powers <laughs> right like the only reason you like him is because they got a guy whose job is to professionally be likable to play him y yeah like, that's yeah, why yeah, you yeah, like yeah. him like real life <laughs> Kenny Powers is not played by someone as talented as Danny McBride and he's yeah, not. Yeah. 
yeah. fun to be around. Like, dude, I I was at a Target the other day, and there was like this like this like just like I don't know. There's a dude. Like, you sometimes you'll see like other dude crews, and you're just like pathetic. And, like, they were just like <laughs> it was like this crew, and it was like this one extremely alpha like. Zach Efron looking dude and he had like two like schlubby guys just with him they were like college age and Hell the yeah. dude and he was at like and we were at that Target on 5th Street so it's kind of small and like we crossed paths like two or three times and every time he was making like like a TV ready joke like Kenny Powers type shit like yeah hey bro watch your walking keep moving what are you doing this and that and it was like you could tell in his head he thought everyone was listening and laughing at him and like uh, it main was yeah. character syndrome yeah, yeah, it was, Classic, main, it was yeah. main character syndrome like a motherfucker and the, and the main character he had chose was to be like a Kenny Powers level asshole and I wanted <laughs> to tell his two little acolytes just be like leave y'all like just like, find like, a, you can yeah. get girls another way yeah like, you don't have a, to do this get on the lime scooter and get the hell out of here because they all did depart <laughs> on lime scooters so. yeah, of course they did yeah no that is that this guy is very much that uh he so yeah he's he's like being a pain in the ass on the mariners they trade him to the twins the twins cut him he ends up back in nuevo laredo for a while um and an important thing to to note about this time uh in baseball in nuevo laredo is um, according to another player that worked down there, uh, it was it was full of quote unquote wheeler dealers, uh, players who worked illicit and semi illicit jobs on the side in addition to playing baseball. Because that's another thing that I didn't realize until we went to this minor league baseball game recently. Um, minor league baseball players get paid very very little, like I can imagine. Sho- shockingly little compared to how much the people in the majors get. Yeah. So a lot of these guys are are working side jobs. Um, some more legal than others. Uh, people are, are gun running. People are doing, you know, yeah. import export. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, That's always like the funniest illegal job. Cause it's just so illegal and dangerous. You're like, yeah, well, you know, I was trying to make ends meet as a minor league pitcher. So I'm running guns. <laughs> yep. I mean, the fact Hell that they yeah. call it that makes it sound very cool too. It's yeah, you're, smuggling, yeah, yeah. you're smuggling guns across the border. Like, <laughs> But you're gun running. Like, I had a coworker yeah. one time tell me he was a, a coworker tell me he was a gun runner quote gun runner and then like I was like hey, hey no you're not like me like you know like also like but then like I really, yeah then he had missed a few days of work and he's like I don't know how I'm gonna make rent and I was like don't you run guns dog yeah if you're, you're a gun runner that shouldn't be something you're worried about you're getting a bad deal like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, like I ran one gun okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, having a fucking, you know, handgun in your glove compartment does not make you a gun runner. Yeah, man, I didn't say I was a a guns runner, all right? I said I was a gun runner. (laughs) I ran one gun, man. Yeah, so, I mean, there's just, like, a lot of kind of shady business going down. There was, like, a lot of the... This was an interesting one that I I read. Um, Some of the players would be hired by the um, people that worked for the team. Because, like... The people who worked for the team, like the the coaches and the administrative staff, made more money than the players. So they would hire the players to basically be like private security for them because they were in Mexico. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like crazy to think about. (laughs) They got you're my boss in two different ways. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, you just don't like like yeah like private security. I imagine just has like a large propensity to get like abused. So it's just like some like real shady character, like a minor league baseball coach. And he's like, pays his pitch. Like, Hey, here's 20 bucks. Go fuck that guy up. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It sounds like it was pretty lawless. So, yeah. um, 
Yeah, so he's like down there for a while. Um, he he sort of bounces around the minors until the uh, the early '80s. In '83, he uh, gets picked up by the Angels. He plays for them for a while. Um, but he is he's he has a bad attitude, and he has a bad attitude about the fact that he has been labeled as having a bad attitude. It seems like <laughs> yes. a difficult situation to get out of. Oh yeah, it's the best. It's like- I don't know what my fucking problem is <laughs> thinking that I'm some kind of asshole. He's like knocking things off a desk. I love that. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely cranky about it. And uh, he hurts himself again. Um, the angels send him back down to AAA to do some rehab on his arm. And he just didn't go. He was pissed about it. He said he gave a quote to the press. He said, they hurt my arm. They abused me. And this is what I get for busting my butt. Uh, he's, he's really mad, uh, that they, you know, he feels like they're not taking care of him, but, uh, sounds like he's like the worker who's like pointing out that he's getting screwed and they're like, Oh, that guy's got a bad attitude. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a combination. Yeah. He's because he's not like good enough to be treated. Well, he's really bearing the brunt of how exploitative this industry can be to people who are not like super famous or whatever oh yeah 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 you know so like yeah they probably are treating him badly but also like he sucks and is uh you know banging his hand hand against uh hotel desks like he's not good at his he's not good at his job yeah (laughs) yeah solid point solid but no i mean he doesn't deserve to be uh to be treated badly but uh yeah so he's he's uh pissed about all this stuff he he works for the angels a little bit more but then they release him um at the end of 1984 and uh pretty much right after he gets released from the angels um his wife divorces him citing uh domestic abuse that i mentioned Mm. earlier yeah and uh two months after that he gets arrested in uh, carlsbad california for attempting to sell 11 ounces of cocaine to an undercover cop. So, <laughs> very Kenny Powers. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> Kenny Powers. All of this. Hey, man, you ain't a cop, are you? Like, you? If you are, you have to tell me. That's like a law. <laughs> All right. Okay, you're not good. Let's, let's sell this cocaine. Yeah, so, you know, this would be... If, if the story ended here, this would be a very sad story about yeah. a, a fate that I think probably befalls a lot of people who are in this rung of being a professional athlete. It's yeah. a tough gig if you're not, you know, a superstar. So it would be a very sad story. However, Byron McLaughlin actually did very well for himself after retiring. Um, after he got out of the majors, he settled in Coronado, California, which is a very nice suburb of San Diego. It's right on the beach. Yeah. And, uh, He's driving a Mercedes. He has a pool in his backyard. He lives on a street called Bahama Bend. Hey. Really (laughs) paints a picture for how nice everything is. The homeowners association gets on your ass if you're not wearing leather boat shoes. And they're like, hey, what are you doing, man? Come on. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's doing good. And uh, he's remarried to a a lovely uh, woman from... uh, she is of French Ivorian descent, so she's from the Ivory Coast, and then uh, is a French citizen. Oh, and yeah. uh, they have a they have a, a a son together, and he uh, yeah he has this great life. He he, he works in an office uh, twenty miles south where he conducts business, which obviously that business is what the bulk of the story is about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he's doing good. He's uh, yeah. 
considering kind of how tough it went and also the fact that he's a he's a, a college dropout you know this is like a really good life yeah so um so yeah now we're gonna get into that business he's conducting yeah yeah we, what was, is that what, business it was doing like uh <laughs> was he selling like selling cds or something what's going on <laughs> you are you are not far off my friend whoa uh so we will go now to uh, a, a little place called Nogales, Arizona, which is a couple hundred miles from uh, McLaughlin's home in Coronado, California. Um, Nogales is a, a very small border town in Arizona. They have a border crossing and they have, uh, you know, some customs agents. This is back in the 80s. So this is pre ice and everything like that. Yeah. Um, they have some customs agents. It's pretty sleepy. They like make a few little drug busts and that's kind of it. Um, but in August 1989, so this is uh, about five years after um, McLaughlin has left the major leagues. Um, August 1989, uh, officials at the uh, port of entry on the Mexican side call uh, the Americans and tell them about this tractor trailer that they had detained Um that was trying to enter from the U S it was from the U S going to Mexico and it had 385 cartons of sneakers destined for a place called Guemas, uh, which is a, an industrial city in, in Mexico where they love shoes. <laughs> what are love shoes? <laughs> oh, where they love. Oh, shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they love shoes there. They can't get yeah. enough. They're crazy about them. Yeah, like, oh, man. You know, you know what I hate? I hate when my bare foot touches the ground. I'm always like, come on, <laughs> put something on it. <laughs> They're crazy about shoes there. It's a cultural thing. They love it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah those dudes love shoes, man. <laughs> so they have, they have almost 400 cartons of sneakers on this big truck. And uh, the boxes say... Uh, like Fila and Vans and stuff like that. And they're labeled as being made in the United States. Um, But the shipment was listed as having originated from Busan, which is in South Korea. Oh Um, yeah. Train to Busan. Exactly. Exactly. So Busan, I mean, and again, like in the eighties, like this is, this is the equivalent of like a bunch of shoes saying they were made in the U S and it says they're from Shenzhen. Like, yeah, this is a, this is a red flag. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're like, this seems fishy. Uh, why would shoes that were made in the U.S. be coming from Busan? So they they halt the truck and they check all the paperwork. And it turns out uh, this paperwork was traceable to Byron McLaughlin. Ooh. This is his shipment. <laughs> Somebody's like, wait a minute. Former L.A. <laughs> former <laughs> Angels pitcher Byron McLaughlin. Just, the, 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 the customs agent was just a fan of, like, obscure American baseball players. <laughs> Yeah, like, well, that's the thing is, like, this will come into play a little bit later, a little bit, but, like, he's so obscure, like, the people who are prosecuting him, like, don't realize he's yeah. a major league baseball player for, like, a while. Like, you know, I, a while. I invented the whirly-durly double wind-up foot throw. He, like, <laughs> right, all the dumb bitches <laughs> he's doing. <laughs> so, this is where uh, the other main character in our story comes in, who is this guy named Harley Lewin. And Harley Lewin is a trademark lawyer uh, who represents a bunch of uh, businesses in California, including the aforementioned Vans shoe brand. So Harley is, is Vans is a client of his and um, he specializes in trademark stuff. And uh, naturally he is, he is alerted to this possibly counterfeit 
shipment of vans yeah. um, by by his clients. So Harley Lewin, um, he like specialized in sort of prosecuting counterfeiters. Um, but for most of the eighties, like people didn't really give a shit about this. Like they were like, who who cares? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah which, is, yeah. which I need to be clear is like solidly the um camp that I fall into. Like who yeah. cares? <laughs> um I, yeah, like, it really I, I, like, is not a problem to yeah, me. Yeah, I know. Like, I would never. Like, I'm a. I'm, I'm a. Uh, like, I like my sneakers. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would never buy mm-hmm. gas station Jordans. I know what's wrong with gas station Jordans. I know they're for sure. a pawn shop, but I don't. I'm not mad they exist. And I don't give a shit that somebody's selling them. You know? <laughs> like, like, there is for sure like a market for them, and yeah. I think that's fine. Like, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I I go to Chinatown a lot, and there's always someone. Um, trying to usher me into some back room to look at knockoff designer handbags. And I'm like, this isn't for me, but like, I'm, I, I yeah. think it's cool that if you want something that looks like this, you can get it for cheap. That's fine. Yep. Oh yeah, for those, sure. Those companies are making plenty of money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ex- yeah, exactly. Like, like, yeah, you know, Michael Jordan is not hurting. Like when somebody's like, you know, selling a bit like, and also like a lot, of, I noticed a lot like uh, the knockoff stuff is like, it's, it's aspirational. Like if that person, as soon as they get to a point in their life where they can't afford the, the real stuff, they're going to buy that, you know, like it's generally filling the gap for the meantime. So it's like, just, just wait a minute, you know, wait for them. Yeah. And also like, I, I mean, the idea of like these weird consumerist fetish objects is itself like kind of fucked up. And the more knockoffs flood the market, the less fetishized those objects are. You know what oh, I yeah. mean? Oh yeah, like, that's very true. And I, th- I think that's like kind of cool and interesting. And yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. You can t- take the wind out of their sails. Some, sometimes the creativity of, of knockoffs is like, is kind of an interesting art form to me. Like, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by it. But but yeah, my, my, my thing was they, people would always bring in like these like knockoff uh, iPads or iPods from like yeah. the Middle East. And I would just have to explain to people. I'd be like, yeah, man, um, Apple doesn't have Bollywood stars on the cover art of their iPod boxes. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I mean you you're very good at spotting these kinds of things. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Job for a while, so you honestly like you might have seen some of this guy's handiwork. Um, Ooh, okay. Because we'll we'll get into it, but yeah. So Harley Lewin, he he, this was his beat for a long time, and for a very long time, people did not care about this at all. Um, but in the mid '80s, he worked with uh, Ted Kennedy, who was a Massachusetts senator at the time to pass the Trademark Counterfeiting Act of 1984, which made uh, counterfeiting goods a much more severe um, legal transgression. So by the time this shipment is intercepted in 1989, Harley Lewin is like, I'm going to have no problem um, getting the feds to pursue this case. Yeah. um, Because we have this law now. Because, literally because of me. So... Harley Lewin gets to work right away, um, tracking down McLaughlin and seeing what's up. And it doesn't sound like it was that hard. (laughs) So (laughs) basically like two days after they seize this truck, uh, Lewin sends his, his uh, private investigator to McLaughlin's office. Uh, He's, he's posing as a potential shoe buyer. And uh, McLaughlin is like very forthcoming, offers him a tour of the office. Um, the PI says everything appears pretty legitimate. Um, technically, the company name is Beck Buying Marketing Group, and there are about six people that that work for uh, Byron. And it looks like a pretty straightforward import export business. 
Um, but the PI sees faxes uh, bearing the name of companies based in Busan, uh, invoices for South Korean tennis shoes, all kinds of stuff that definitely raises some red flags. Yes. Yeah. So like, when you go undercover at like a fake shoe plant, you have to like not have shoes on. Like you're just like barefoot. Like yeah, I'm in the market for some shoes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a shoe buyer. He like literally yeah. just needs yeah. shoes for himself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't trust that guy. He's got shoes, but he wants to buy shoes. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, something's fishy, <laughs> T. <laughs> so Lewin goes on. He, he tries to question the people who work for McLaughlin. They all seem to be in the dark. Uh, a former employee was just like, we literally had no idea. We, we were just a, a bunch of, you know, idiots working yeah. in this office. Which every time we do a scam and I read something like this, I'm like, why can't I get one of I was these ju- jobs? I was just thinking about that. Yeah, like that. Yeah, they're, they're working your favorite job. Just the, the receptionist at a shell company. <laughs> yes, that's all I want. Put yeah. me at the, at the desk at the front company. That yeah. is what I want to do with my life. I will know nothing. <laughs> I will ask no questions. Yeah. Like, please. It's my dream in life. Uh, yeah, so yeah. all these people were like, basically that they were like yeah we 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 didn't know we didn't look into it um so the pi keeps investigating um he he goes uh to mexico city with an informant and they meet a man in mexico who identifies himself as um overseeing some of mclaughlin's business interests in mexico and this guy shows them uh some sample products some sneakers and uh, the guy says that McLaughlin advertised these by uh, having him put flyers on windshields around town. So, like, a flyer that's like, you know, get some cheap Air Jordans or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on, on your windshield. Like, again, I don't think anyone's being tricked here. I think yeah. everybody knows that these are knockoffs. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I just love, like, the phone call that guys to get, like... The phone call you got to get yelling from like you know like your boss yelling, telling you to go flyer more cars about the fake Air Jordans thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the worst job to have for a shell company. <laughs> that is that is the lowest rung on the totem pole. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has like real like um, the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret vibes. Where it's like, yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I forgot about that show. What a good show. Oh uh, yeah, very good. Yeah. Watch that show, everybody, if you're looking for something to do. Yeah, um, so you work for a fake company and you still have to, like, deal with very real sales calls that are like, yeah. hey, you got to go sell this fake-ass product, man. It's like, like the worst of all worlds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite of the job you want with a shell company. Right. <laughs> so uh, this guy shows him some of the sample product. Uh, it was very clear that these were knockoffs. Um, for example, they, they talk about there was a... a White low top Reebok club champion. It had green trim. It bore no manufacturing date. It did not have a factory code on its label. And the color of the lettering in the trim did not match the lettering on the fabric. So the, the devil's in the details. That's, that's what we used to look for, like with like like sneakers and purse and handbags and stuff. Fake sneakers are super easy to spot, but like mm-hmm. fake handbags, like you like you you gotta kind of know what you're looking for. And yeah, yeah, it's always like it's always little shit. It's like little like where the like the stitching uh, instead of being like one continuous line of equal length stitches, it starts to like bunch up or crowd in one area, and it's like mm-hmm. the good shit. The good shit doesn't do that. Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like this was clearly, and and they said the the leather it was made out of was extremely poor quality. Yeah. Um, they thought it might even be fake leather. Like this is a clearly a fake shoe. <laughs> this shoe has still has a foot in it. Obviously, something <laughs> has happened here. <laughs> something bad has gone on. Yes. <laughs> Someone sewed a sock into this shoe. <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh, the Sports Illustrated article talks a little bit about how. This was like a great time to be in the knockoff shoe business because sneakers had just started being um, like fashionable. Like, oh, yeah. So the Air Jordan is first released in 84, which is the same year that Byron McLaughlin leaves the major leagues. Um, like that kind of starts the sneaker craze. Um, yep. The article mentions Run DMC uh, in 1986, writes a song about their Adidas. Yep. Like these are these are now status objects in a way that they were not before the 1980s. Yeah, and you have a, a, a public uninitiated on the the nuances of their design and what they look like and how to tell. Yes. You know, yeah, it's it's like it's now it's like people are just hip. Like you can go online and look shit up. But back then, it's like, you know, people don't know exactly know what Air Jordans look like. You know, they just came out like. Totally. You see an ad in like a magazine or something, but that's kind of your only reference point. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, it, this is like a really lucrative market. And uh, the, the there starts to be this shadow market for um, knockoff shoes, particularly in uh, Mexico. So um, uh, it, by 1990, which is like the year after all of this stuff is taking place, um, experts estimated that a quarter of the Mexican sneaker market was in some way illegitimate. So either unlicensed sale of authentic stuff or just total knockoffs. So this is, they are like flooding the market with (laughs) issues. And uh, yeah, so the, the private investigator is, is investigating all of this stuff. Um, He, he goes back to McLaughlin's office a few times and goes through the trash and finds like basically everything he needs. These people are not being that careful. <laughs> like, I, oh, I, yeah, I, I love, it's like not only was like the knockoff industry like fledgling and like you know, the burgeoning, but it was like them being good at it was like they were, they were still learning. Like, oh shit, I can't just throw stuff away. All right, that makes sense. You know? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like they were doing like no opsec at all. Like they were just tossing shit. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> didn't give a fuck. So. Yeah, so, like, making the case against these guys was very, very easy. Um, they uh, they found, basically, that McLaughlin's operation was connected to this one South Korean businessman who was in charge of kind of the manufacturing end, and then McLaughlin uh, would uh, get the shoes, bring them to Mexico, and, and sell them. So, um, yeah, he... Uh, he met this guy probably when he was pitching down in Mexico. That that seems to be their likely connection, um, him and this South Korean businessman. So um, McLaughlin would pay between 8 and $11 per pair of shoes made in South Korea and then sell them to Mexican distributors for about twice that um, and insisting that he be paid in traveler's checks. So he knew he was doing illegal <laughs> yeah. shit. Like, <laughs> You know. Dude, I mean, it's gonna be like like this like the guy who would like get drunk and talk your ear off about how he's doubling his money. <laughs> like, like, yes. like, dude, I'm doubling yep. my money. I got the fucking shoes on right now. I actually like them. That's the crazy part. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty good. They're pretty good yeah, shoes. Yeah. <laughs> 
I walk more than three blocks, I actually walk out of them, and I got to keep a spare pair. But you know, I mean, like, who, who's kidding who at this point? Right? I'm doubling my money, dude. No, and like, so he was also so he'd get the travelers checks, and then he would um, deposit them in uh, a bank based in Luxembourg. So oh, he's like yeah. definitely like he was probably so proud that he had a bank account in Luxembourg. Yeah, yeah. Like, just, oh man, it's just like everything that this guy just like spilling the beans to anyone who listens. Dude, it's a freaking Luxembourg, which is like a European, like a micro state or something. I don't know. But he's, just, <laughs> he's so proud of himself. Yeah. And honestly, he should be because he is doing great. So at the peak of his uh, knockoff shoe sales, he is selling 80,000 pairs a month. Whoa. So he is doing great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's that's a... that, that, that's not even a joke. God damn, that's a lot. <laughs> He's doing yeah. real good, man. Fuck, that's really cool. And also, so, that's, that's 80 grand a month. And this is the 80s, right? Yeah. I yes. mean, more than 80 grand a month. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's 80, 80 pairs a month. Yeah, 80,000 pairs a month. Yeah, that's in 1980s America money. Shit. <laughs> He's doing great. By, by, the, yeah. time, uh, by, by the time they uh, apprehend him, he this bank account in Luxembourg has almost two and a half million dollars in it. So like Hell he's yeah. doing good. He's doing really yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> so he's gonna chase him down. He tries to like hit him like he tries to like juke him, but the sneakers rip open and he falls out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they give chase and he just immediately eats it. <laughs> yeah, his sneakers just like turn into powder. They're yeah, just gone. Yeah, yeah. Dude. No, the, the the sneakers liquefied under the pressure of the asphalt. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, this was a pretty straightforward case. Um, they do they arrest him. They they arrest over a dozen people. Um, one of the people they arrest is uh, Byron's brother, Glenn, who uh, was part of this sort of criminal conspiracy and was working in Chile, doing pretty much the same thing. Um, they lure him to Miami with an undercover, uh, you know, a, a CI acting as a buyer and they arrest him. So, uh, you know, this thing is pretty wide ranging. And after Byron's arrested, he's like he he's pretty forthcoming about the fact that he was doing this. Um, he's like, he, wearing, he's like, are you wearing a pair right now? I, I like him. <laughs> he likes them. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> likes them. He definitely wears them himself. That was his legal defense. He was like, they're not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that kind of was part of his legal defense. So he had, he had sort of two arguments that he and his lawyers would make. Um, the first argument that he made was that these were gray market goods, uh, they had been manufactured in the same factories that produced the genuine shoes. They just lacked the official licensing markings. So they were like effectively the same product, which is basically to what we're saying. He was basically like, they're good shoes. What do you yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's just kind of insulted that they would insinuate that he would be selling low quality shoes. Right. He's like, no, but yeah. they're good. They're not all Nikes, but they're good. So... <laughs> Uh, Harley Lewin, that that um, trademark lawyer, he he disputes this argument. But uh, his next argument um, that McLaughlin and his lawyers would make is that they would cite this trademark law from like 1939 that said basically because the shoes were made and sold both outside the U.S., that U.S. law is not was not broken. Like this was this has no bearing on on U.S. law because oh. we didn't sell them here. So. 
that was his defense. Just the middleman, shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so in the end, he was charged with uh, trafficking and counterfeit goods, entry of goods by means of false statements and smuggling. Um, he had a bunch of civil suits from the sneaker companies, so they sued him for $12 million in damages. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the, the real victims in all this. <laughs> right. That's why I'm like, I don't feel yeah. bad for them, because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, yeah. Reebok, Converse, and Vans are doing fine. Yeah, as, yeah as a guy who blew a tax return on Nike ID, I'm fucking, like, I can't, uh, you know, I, I can't sympathize with those dudes too much. Right. Uh, but yeah, so the reason that they were able to bring suit against him was because of that 1984 act that Harley Lewin uh, helped put into law. So like yeah, the, the fucking the, the the what are those act? <laughs> like, <I> yeah, mean, <laughs> exactly. That's what it is. 100%. He just un- unrolled the fight, unrolled the warehouse full of stolen shoes. He's like, what are those? <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, totally. So. Um, yeah, so, like, Harley Lewin is the the one working on the civil side, and then the guy with the criminal charges is uh, Milan Tesanovich, who is uh, an assistant U.S. attorney. And Lewin and Tesanovich basically are just, like, hitting this guy successively with different, like, legal battles and sort of playing him... Like, they're working in, in cahoots, Lewin yeah. and Tesanovich, and they have this guy kind of triangulated right where they want him. And McLaughlin is so mad about this. Like, one of them would offer a deal, and then the other one would play tough. Like, they would just, like, yeah. they were just batting this guy around. And and McLaughlin was so mad, he wrote a letter to the U.S. Attorney's Office that basically said the only way these guys could be working together so well is if they were uh, a gay couple. He's like, <laughs> these guys are fucking with me because they're fucking each other, which is so funny. And so Kenny the, Powers. Yeah, So yeah. Kenny Powers. They move with an instinct and understanding of each other, which can only come carnally. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That is exactly what he said. It's so good. <laughs> they're using their, their homosexual magic <laughs> to coordinate an attack on, on right. an honest, on, on, on a fairly honest shoe dealer. <laughs> on an American businessman. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, man. That's so tight. <laughs> so. McLaughlin is like he is he is definitely remembered by people who knew him as uh, a, a you know a natural salesman like he is clearly very good at this yeah um, but he but he does have you know some rage issues and he is very arrogant and um, again like his his second wife so Lewin questions uh, uh, McLaughlin's second wife and says that he saw signs of domestic abuse granted yeah. this is a, a bias thing but his first wife also claimed this so like th- yeah, this yeah. is like a very controlling person who is like probably pretty shitty to the people in his life um, yeah for sure and and his employees said that that he was prone to you know uh bouts of anger when things were going his way <laughs> and that he was yeah that he was yeah. very arrogant and like thought he was smarter than everybody and nobody <laughs> was gonna get under his skin He's re- he'll be remembered by those around him as a wife-beating drunk who sold fake shoes illegally. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, kind of the personality you would expect from this guy. Yeah. But yeah, he really, he really gold, thought though. he was Heart of gold, though. Heart of gold on that guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
He like I think he a lot of people who are very arrogant about being intelligent in these stories often are like like they're still assholes, but they are actually smart. <coughs> this guy yeah. I think really thought he was smarter than he was. Like Yeah, yeah, he definitely overshot his, his own. He was uh, just throwing away invoices that implicated him in this scheme. Yeah, like yeah, it was yeah, not yeah. hard for them to catch him at all. <laughs> See what I do is I double bag my trash. They can only get the search warrant only lets them go in the first bag. Okay, so they open up the first bag, they got another bag. They gotta call the judge now, get another warrant for the second bag, and uh, I'm, I'm home free, you know. I'm home free, I'm good. Dude, I, there's a, a guy he's worked construction for is um, a, uh, a owner of several like high profile bars here in Austin, and he's uh, just filthy, stinking rich, and one of the worst fucking human beings I've ever met in my whole life. And uh, he was one of those guys who just like I, I think he like inherited the money and he's cutthroat, so he like grew the money he inherited. But yeah, totally overestimated his like his own like knowledge of everything. With like you know, like, swore he was like just because he paid for a lot of shit to get built haphazardly he swore he knew a lot about construction and yeah. things like that and i was helping him what we were there one day we were working like in his office and he said something that wasn't funny but i, you know, I got a pretty good courtesy laugh on me sure and i and, uh, and i courtesy laugh i was like oh that's pretty funny dave and he got quiet for a second he just goes yeah i could have been a comedy writer <laughs> <laughs> amazing love it yeah, so yeah. Sure, man. No, I, sure you could yeah, yeah, yeah i'm getting that that vibe in, the, uh, in this guy yeah yeah, he he definitely like he he thinks he can outmaneuver anybody. Yeah. And uh yeah, so um by December 1990, which is he McLaughlin has been in jail for a year but his trial hasn't started yet. Um he finally pleads guilty. Um you know, and he, and he hopes for <laughs> hopes for a deal. Um he <laughs> assumes that he's going to get prison time, uh but he actually doesn't. He he's ordered to pay two and a half million dollars to the sneaker companies um and he is sentenced to five years probation damn that's so, how dumb he was he, he thought he's he's so stupid he thought he's gonna get jail time and he didn't <laughs> 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 he just got everything wrong <laughs> <laughs> i mean everybody they really thought he, I, I don't know what was up with this yeah no it's that's that's wild, man. Like, yeah, then like two months that that's his that's his Luxembourg Luxembourgian bank account drained right there. Well, here's where the story takes a little bit of a turn. Um, he gets probation. He fucking hightails it out of the U.S. as soon as possible. He flees, so he's gone. And uh, a couple days after he is uh, sentenced to probation, he calls uh, Harley Lewin the trademark lawyer he yeah. calls him at his office and he's like what's up i'm not in the u.s anymore how you like that so he's <laughs> doing a fucking hannibal at the end of silence of the land yeah, yeah, yeah. to this guy <laughs> also like it's probation like just like, like that's not like I, I, mean, I guess he doesn't want to pay the money that's one thing but like like you you don't run from probation i don't it just feels like that's just like well, a Spoiler alert, it works out because he has never been caught. So what? he's still fucking out there. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. wow. Never mind. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he, he hightails it out of the U.S. and he, is, he has never been uh, apprehended. And uh, yeah, so he, what he does is he, um, this is 1990 or 1991, I guess, early 1991, Um he so I said he has that French Ivorian wife. Yeah, they they go to France. Um, he oh. and, his wife. and um, 
he so after he flees he is sentenced to a 14 year prison sentence because if you violate the terms of your probation yeah yeah fine. yeah yeah so then he's like well i definitely am definitely can't come back <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> which i i still feel might not be worth it. you know what i'm saying like like the like when you can't return to your country of origin like i can imagine at some point in your life that's going to that's gonna pose, yeah. pose an issue, you know. Like, like it's, it's like, oh, you can never come back to America. I might think I'm hot shit for like ten years, but like, so what? I don't care. And like, and then I'm like, I miss my mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I miss my mom. <laughs> yeah, I like, yeah, like I, I, I left a, I left a half a joint and like an ashtray by my, like, I don't want right. to go back and get it. Whatever the case. Can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it works. It it definitely works for a while because uh, he's in France and. Um, the U.S. keeps trying to extradite him, and France is like, knockoff shoes are not illegal here. Like, yeah, it's not a, we don't have laws against that. Um, oh, so he is living like a public life, though. Like, no, like, not like, really. But we're not a public life. I mean, I guess, but he's not like. It's not like he was never heard from again. Like this guy, just like like is like lives in France. Like that's like, and they're yeah, just I not mean, extraditing like, him. American authorities found out he was in France. Okay, and, okay, yeah. And and tried to get him, and France was like, eh, I don't know, like, yeah, didn't yeah. do anything wrong. And then, and Lewin says, uh, the French authorities referred to him as, quote, a local investor, which <laughs> Lewin just was like, oh, that means he's bribing people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He has uh, paid very well into, uh, how do you say, uh, the local uh, government, and no more questions about this. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. That's so, what he did. I was wondering if he had, like go like go like undercover and he's like he goes undercover by only wearing designer clothing. Like and it's like, well that's clearly not him. Those are real Nikes. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has legit shit, so must not be him. Um so eventually like the US Marshals get permission to come look for him in France, but he's already gone. He goes to the Ivory Coast, the other place where his wife has relatives. Um Again, he is he is questioned by authorities there, but seems to pay them off, and he gets away again. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> just invests in the local community again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's he's uh, which like if a guy's a counterfeiter, because one of the things they say is that he gave somebody a Rolex, and it's like that's not yeah, a yeah, fucking yeah, real. Ro- yeah. Don't take a Rolex from a guy who's a knockoff <laughs> shoe salesman. <laughs> he tipped his fucking Uber driver with a with a Rolex. Okay, I don't think these are right. Yeah. yeah, don't don't fucking trust this guy. Yeah, yeah. he's just going through his pockets. There's like four Rolexes in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, he gets away again. There's like rumors he's in Ghana, but basically, like Lewin is, uh, he he is employed by the shoe companies not the government and the shoe companies are like, he's out of business. So like, we don't really care because apparently after he leaves their vans sales in Mexico go up 30%. So he was like a huge source of knockoff shoes. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it made a big difference. So, so Lewin's employers, Lewin's clients are just like, don't worry about it. He's gone. He's not yeah. fucking with us anymore. Oh, and poor Lewin. They're like, hey, Lewin, know, we don't, we don't, so we don't give mad. a fuck, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, and, yeah, he... and Lewin is extra pissed because McLaughlin is still calling him. Like, <laughs> a lot. Like, he calls him to just, like, chat. Like, <laughs> That's so sick. Hell yeah. He's, just, he's like a up, super buddy? villain. Yeah, it yeah. fucking rocks. It's so good. That is tight. 
somebody. So McLaughlin, like, his hands are tied. He can't do anything. And this guy is still, like, taunting him. And just, yeah, being like, you know, like, it's a shame we can't have dinner together. It's (laughs) all this shit. So Lewin thinks that the reason he's doing this, like, part of it is to brag. But part of it is because... Like we said, McLaughlin thinks he's like a super genius and he thinks Lewin is like his peer because Lewin caught him. Yeah. So this all culminates. They do meet face to face one time after this. It's in the late 90s. It's about 10 years after uh, the case has been closed. And McLaughlin, in his regular phone calls to Lewin, <laughs> says like kind of what you said that like he misses the United States, he misses his home. Um, and Lewin thought like he might be able to broker some kind of deal with this guy to come home. And, uh, he, he, uh, Lewin happened to be going to France anyway. So they meet in this hotel in Paris and, uh, they, and, and Lewin tries to negotiate a deal with McLaughlin and Lewin's like, sorry, dude, you're going to have to go to jail for a while. Yeah. And McLaughlin is like, no deal. See you later. And they part and he, no one has heard from him since. He is. Whoa. That was the last time Lewin saw him. So. <laughs> like, I wonder if he like tried to do the thing where like, like, all right, they part ways and they both, their backs turn and like, Lewin tries to like turn back and say something to him and he's just like gone. But except he couldn't pull that yes. off. So he like turns back around and he's like clumsily running to the airport bar. <laughs> Right, in his shitty shoes. He's like, yeah. yeah. He tries to throw like a rudimentary smoke bomb down. It's like, get out of there. <laughs> oh, man, that's so tight. Yeah, I couldn't so, imagine a. G- oh, 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 shit. I, I just, there's a little more because I, like I said, like you might have run into this guy's handiwork, is there aren't any like confirmed like sightings of him, but also people aren't really looking for him anymore. Yeah. And. It there's reports that he might be in Thailand. Uh, this was from like the early 2010s, um, but it sounds like if they like if this guy in Thailand who they think is him is him, he's making knockoffs again. He's doing it in Thailand. Ooh. Like he's still in this world and probably yeah. still making his money this way. So, I mean, you might be you might be looking at his handiwork in the pawn shop. Some of us might yeah. be uh, <laughs> wearing his handiwork on our feet. So, dude, I yeah. I would pay yeah I would pay equal not equal to the to, 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 to retail amount, but like I can imagine to, to own you know a Byron McLaughlin certified knockoff. Yeah, I might pay I'd yeah I might pay a little extra yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like again, this is this guy like he's shitty because he was bad to his wives. But yeah. like as as far as the actual crime, he rocks. Like yeah, yeah, this yeah. is great. I have no I don't care about these companies at all. Yeah, um, no, yeah. Totally this worth is it. Cool. Yeah, yeah, totally worth it. He completely escaped, evaded justice, is still out there, probably living on a beach in Thailand, like having a great time. So Yeah, he's, yeah, he's probably like hanging out with that guy that runs the fucking QAnon website. <laughs> Just like Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> He's totally friends with that guy. Yeah, damn. That's wild. Also, you kind of suck. Cause I just, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the guy has horrible politics. And I wonder if, oh, like... Oh, no question, yeah. If, if, that, if that sucks that he wasn't able to get back here for those four glorious years of Trump. Where he was like, oh, man, shit. Like, I'd actually want to be... probably sad about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, damn, man. Yeah, well, thank, thank you, Kevin. That's, that is fantastic. I love that story. 
yeah, I uh, I want to leave with like one last quote from Lewin, who said, um, most of the time when you hear about trouble with professional athletes, it's drugs or some sort of altercation with police or domestic abuse. That's sort of low level but terrifying activity. Byron was anything but that. He was confident, sanguine, smart. He was the kind of guy that if he put the same talent to good use, he probably could have made a lot more money. But people like that can't help it. So, yeah, I just think that's like it's really interesting that this sort of also ran baseball player then became, uh, you know, the head of a knockoff sneaker empire. Oh, man, that's so cool. Yeah, guys, set your set your sights high, man. You don't have to you don't have to peak in minor league baseball. You can you can (laughs) (laughs) you can you can even excel past that if it seems if that seems believable. You can you can go further than minor leagues. <laughs> yeah, so I think the advice here is um, if you're a minor league baseball player, ask to work in a border town. You can figure yeah. something out there. Yeah, Maybe yeah, well. yeah. Get it where you fit in. I would love <laughs> if he if he like ruined his empire by like trying to like create his own shoe and just like, like no nobody wants yeah like the nobody wants your yeah. shoe but yeah exactly <laughs> like, i got an idea for a shoe that'll melt your fucking brain buddy <laughs> oh man that's so cool man well shit guys thank you very much for tuning in uh this is um yeah this is a a, a free episode for the masses uh if you guys like what you heard you know you can find us on uh, Patreon, we actually do two more episodes per month. That's patreon.com slash lie, cheat, and steal. Um, my name is Pat Royce. I'm on Twitter at PZTX. And I've recently started uh, doing another podcast with a um, plant and conservation company here in town uh, that's uh, looking to do some pretty cool stuff and be entertaining and, and teach people about plants and the ways that we can interact with them differently to help people out. That's actually called Good at Plants, Bad at Life. If you want to check that out, wherever podcasts are streamed. And uh, let's see, I don't think I have anything coming up immediately. So, uh, Kath, I'll hand that over to you. Yeah, um, I have another podcast called What a Time to Be Alive, which is a weekly podcast about stupid news stories. Uh, it comes out on Mondays. We have a Patreon for that as well. Um, my Twitter is Kath Barbadoro. Uh, you can find stand updates on there. I know... Um, Coming up September 10th, I'm doing a show at Asylum, opening for my friend Allison Libby's one-woman show. And uh, I'm also on a show at 7 p.m. September 16th at Caveat on the Lower East Side. Uh, It's called The Setup. So uh, I would love if you would come to one of those. And uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Yeah, guys, thanks for tuning in. Have fun. Be safe out there. Be smart. But above all, don't get caught. Don't get caught. See you next time. Bye.